Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Worn out by now. That hurt. That hurt. That hurt. That hurt. You damn right it hurts. Ow, ow. It is 9:03 a.m. It is the 23rd of October, 2019. It is episode 154 of Bitcoin, and we got a drop. Holy crap! It hurts. It's always painful to watch. It doesn't matter how many times you've been here. I've been here a lot. It never gets better. Never. There's never a time that this shit gets better. So everybody's just going to have to deal with it. I mean, hell, we live from 20,000 to 3,600. If we can do that, we can probably like stomach anything. But we'll get into like all kinds of neat stuff today. Uh, Let's begin with strike.devpost. Dot com. Let's see what's going on here. Uh, radar underscore ion on Twitter, that would be at radar underscore ion, uh, posted something that said, calling all LN developers and enthusiasts compete for $5,000 in prizes. Today we have opened access to Strike, a virtual lightning hackathon to get the brilliant minds in the lightning network community to build apps and create content that drives adoption forward. Learn more. We've got a little point down pointy thing, a little down pointy thing going on here. So, um, sorry about that. Uh, what is it pointing to? Well, it's pointing to this dev post, uh, dot or strike dot dev post dot com article. Actually, it's not an article. It's an announcement. It's talking about the hackathon. So you have 27 days to submit because the deadline is 1045 Mountain Standard Time. It says MST. I don't think that's Mountain Standard Time because that would be Mountain Daylight Time. I I guess. I don't know. Maybe it's in Arizona where they don't have Daylight Savings Times. Somebody at least gets it. Uh, November the 18th. Okay, so 1045 MST, November the 18th is the deadline for this. So what is it? Well, it's hosted by Radar uh, underscore Ion or Radar Ion. So let's let's give it a read here. <clears throat> if you're active on the Lightning Network in the Lightning Network community, now's your chance to show off your skills and knowledge to help move adoption forward in this virtual hackathon. That means that you don't actually have to be there, guys. Developers and Lightning experts alike can compete to build an app or create quality content. Ooh, nice! If you win, you'll receive a cash prize from Radar Ion. Strike gives you the chance to compete in two ways. Build. Your mission, build lightning-related applications. Hardware and software app submissions are welcome to qualify projects must. 
utilize lightning technology. Top three submissions will share a prize pool of $3,000. Plus, there's a special radar bounty of $500 if... You build on Lightning Network with helpful support from Radar Developer Tools. Utilizing our SDK, APIs, and or repo will help make your project easier to complete and will also qualify you for an additional $500 if your project places among the winners. To participate in the bounty, the project must fall under the build track. Uh, Radar bounty tools are Redshift SDK, Redshift Documentation, Ion App Store API, Radar Tech in API, Boilerplate, and Top of LND. And all of those have, um, oh, sorry, Radar Tech in API, Boilerplate, which is a boilerplate example project for creating lightning-enabled applications on top of LND. Okay, so all of those have links. Uh, th- these are going to be in my show notes because I have it in my curated Twitter timeline that I put together for the show. Go to the show notes. It says my curated Twitter timeline, click that link and all of the stuff that I'm talking about today will be at the top of that, uh, of, of that stack of tweets. Okay. Um, so you can scroll down. There's about like every day, every day that I do a show, I have about, I don't know, 10, maybe 15 tweets that I'm doing stories or, or announcements from and just scroll through it until you see the radar underscore ion, and then uh, you'll be able to get to the link that takes you to where I am, the dev post or the uh, strike.devpost.com. Okay, here's the other one. The, the second way that you can do it is to share, create original educational content text about one of the following topics node setup, atomic swaps, channel liquidity, lightning user experience. Top three submissions will share a prize pool of $1,500. And then they give their Slack channel and full rules. Eligibility. Individuals who are at least the age of majority where they reside as of the time of entry are eligible to submit a project. Individual team and organization submissions will be accepted for each track. Age of majority, I guess, means at whatever country that you are considered an adult, at you know whatever age you are in whatever country you are, that they consider you an adult, that then you can do it. But you can't if you're like a kid in Ireland or whatever, you know, you, you just, yeah, you can't. Here in the United States, it's 18. So if you're 18 or older, you can uh, do this, um, unless, of course, you come up with a creative way to hack that. Oh, sorry. Um, the requirements are create or build a project across one or more of the following uh, categories, the build track or the share track. And they already kind of went through all that. But on the build track, they have any documentation and submission form. And then on access, a way to access your code base as well as your working project where applicable. So you're going to actually have to make sure that the shit's available that you do. On the share track, you've got your document must be a link or a PDF or some other format to the content you've written. All materials must be submitted on the DevPost website before November the 18th. 2019, 11.45 Central Time, USA. Uh, so there you go. Uh, the judges here are Brandon Curtis from Ryan, uh, Ryan, Radar Ion, and then somebody named Rachel R. Not really kind of sure what's what's going on. But the judging criteria that they list are that you will, on the build track, you will be judged on the product's usability, the business viability, the technical design and implementation, and the application of Lightning technology and on the share track, you will be judged on being original, on topic, uh, atomic swaps, channel liquidity, Lightning user experience, node setup, digestible, accurate, educational, and informative. So there you go. If you want to compete, then you can go compete your ass off 
with some of these guys. Anna Alexandra is writing for Cointelegraph yesterday, former Trump advisor to release stablecoin backed by fractional reserve. Oh my, oh my, here we go. The shit coinery just, just, it just keeps like mutating into these weird and extreme, even more ugly ways. A former campaign advisor to the United States, President Donald Trump, is planning to release a stablecoin based on a fractional reserve. As Fortune reported on October the 21st, Stephen Moore announced plans to launch a stablecoin dubbed FRAX, F-R-A-X, FRAX, <laughs> which will be backed by a fractional reserve of U.S. dollars. Jesus, God, don't. Oh. Ugh. As such, the planned stable coin will not be pegged one-to-one to a reserve of dollars, but is based on algorithms that will loan out its reserves and gain interest in order to make certain that the value of the coin remains fixed to the dollar. Moore and his business partner and co-founder of Frax, Sam Kazeman, said that the stable coin, which is expected to be launched in the coming months, will be built upon established blockchains that ensure a tamper-resistant public record. Moore who is also an economist, oh God, at the Heritage Foundation, a conservative think tank, argued that cryptocurrency could be an alternative to state-backed money. Quote, I've followed monetary policy for 30 years and always been troubled by the government monopoly on currency, which is unhealthy for markets. Well, he's got that right. It's very healthy for private competitors to challenge central banks over the money supply. If I had been on the Fed, I would have liked to have seen encouragement for the development of cryptocurrencies like Frax, of course. It can be a check and balance against runaway currencies. No, it's a fat payday for your ass, and you freaking know it. You're piggybacking on the success of this entire technology, and you offer nothing new. Sorry. This summer, Moore joined a new crypto project dubbed Decentral, which counts Kazeman as CEO and Mike Novogratz, the founder of crypto merchant bank Galaxy Digital, as a purported investor. At the time, Decentral was also planning to issue a fiat asset pegged or algorithmically stabilized stablecoin. Decentral pitched itself as a platform that will assume responsibility similar to the U.S. Federal Reserve with the crypto, within the cryptocurrency space, such as regulating monetary supply and exchanging its own token for other cryptocurrencies. Previously, Moore commented on Facebook's not-yet-released Libra stablecoin, stating that, quote, it's interesting, but this Libra represents a new challenge for central bankers that they now have competition from private currencies, end quote. Meanwhile, G20 finance leaders agreed that global acceptance of stablecoins will give rise to a set of serious public policy and regulatory risks. Yes, it will. That's called life. Stop being such a pansy. All right, here we go. Former World Gold Council executive develops new Bitcoin ETF. I'm I'm. People, before we get into this, I'm starting to think that these may be attack vectors. They keep spinning up the ETF just so the SEC can shut their ass down. And it makes me wonder if they call up the SEC and say, hey, uh, how much would you kiss my ass if I spin up a Bitcoin ETF so that you can just blow holes through it and make the market tank? Starting to wonder. Coindesk's David Pan is writing as of this morning... The former managing director of the World Gold Council and the portfolio manager behind Spider Gold Shares, that's the SPDR, <clears throat> is developing a Bitcoin exchange traded fund with boutique asset manager Crypto what Cryptoin? K-R-Y-P-T-O-I-N. God stop. Stop it. Cryptoin Investment Advisors. Or oh God, KIA, otherwise known as Killed in Action. 
Oh, that's hilarious. The Cayman Islands-based firm has filed an initial registration statement with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. The fund, in development for two years, would track the CME-CF Bitcoin reference rate to reflect Bitcoin's actual market price. While declining to disclose the fund's management fees, of course, the filing said it will process creations and redemptions and accrue its management fees solely in Bitcoin. In an exclusive interview with Coindesk, Cryptoins... uh, Head of exchange-traded products Jason Toisson said, quote, The benefits and challenges when it comes to Bitcoin as an asset class are similar to what they were when the Gold Council brought Spider Gold shares to the market. There was also a lot of learning the SEC had to go through to fully understand and gain a level of comfort with the underlying gold market. The industry veteran now heads the product development of the young firm. <clears throat> Previously, Toisson managed Spider Gold shares, or GLD one of the largest gold ETFs in the world, while serving as the CEO of the World Gold Trust Services, a wholly owned subsidiary of the World Gold Council. That product is now marketed by State Street Global Advisors. Toisson said started his career in the ETF industry at Morgan Stanley, where he led the MSCI Index in, <clears throat> in licensing business in Asia after stints as a senior strategist at Northern Trust and as a portfolio manager at J.P. Morgan. If Cryptoin's ETF is approved by the SEC, its shares would be listed on NYSE ARCA, which focuses on trading stocks and options as opposed to the New York Stock Exchange with mostly large cap stocks. But the SEC approved ETF has now become a holy grail in the nascent space as not one offering has been greenlit by the agency. Three proposed uh, Bitcoin BTFs were filed earlier this year's. This year, one was denied, one withdrew, and one is still pending. In a 112-page order, the SEC rejected Bitwise's ETF proposal on on October the 6th, noting that crypto markets are still prone to manipulation, while Van Eck withdrew its Bitcoin ETF application in September, even before the commission was able to render a final decision on its application. And that was after a delay. The commission now only has one Bitcoin ETF proposal currently sitting before it. That fund was filed by Wilshire Phoenix and NYSE ARCA and should receive a decision by year end. The Cryptoin ETF is now just beginning the process with the filing of its initial registration. Toisson said that there are two aspects that are crucial to get the SEC's approval. The information sharing agreements and a better understanding for the SEC of how these underlying crypto markets work. Oh, God. Uh, the biggest factor in my mind is the information sharing agreement between the ETFs and the underlying exchanges, he said. Toisson's experience with the first gold ETF is informing their strategy. Bitcoin has met resistance from the regulators just as the gold ETF did, he said, in the sense that non-publicly listed securities underlying an ETF structure that requires exchanges, gold and crypto, to be more transparent with their financial pricing, volume, and other transaction data. The firm is also keeping a close eye on maturing Bitcoin futures contracts in hopes that the market would be more resilient to manipulation. Generally, as the market matures, both in the futures and spot markets, the regulators would be more positive about a Bitcoin ETF, Toussaint said, but noted that the process could take a long time. Quote, this is not another S&P ETF. We are in the process for the long haul, he said. Of course, we want to get it approved as soon as possible, but the firm is realistic in terms of its expectations given the recent comments through the Bitwise Bitcoin ETF order, end quote. Besides the underlying Bitcoin asset, the SEC is generally cautious about volatility in general. 
Kostya Itis, a portfolio manager at CLS Investments, said, quote, the challenge of launching a Bitcoin ETF comes full circle in trying to have regulators be comfortable enough with it to approve it for investments by that wider investor base. This was a huge hurdle for leveraged and inverse ETFs, but issuers overcame that eventually, and it it's just a matter of time before they, uh, well, overcome this one, end quote. While declining to disclose further details of the firm's legal processes with the SEC, Cryptoin CEO Donnie Kim said advances in other regulatory areas are positive for the case. Quote, the CFTC's approval for Bitcoin and Tether to be traded on the future markets is a good sign for us to launch the Bitcoin ETF, Kim said, referring to the once equally elusive process of at the Commodity and Futures Trading Commission. Yeah, I do remember that that. Cryptoin's application was prepared with representation from lawyers Thompson Hine in Washington, D.C. So there you go. And speaking of the CFTC, we have Osato Ivan Namoyo or Nemeo writing for Bitcoinist.com. Where's the date? Oh, yeah, this was yesterday. Oh, God. The CFTC chairman says crypto assets other than BTC and ETH can become commodities. Uh Speaking at the D.C. FinTech Week on Monday, October the 21st, 2019, Chairman Talbert remarked that crypto designations into securities and commodities aren't set in stone. According to the CFTC chief, a crypto asset that's considered a security can become a commodity and vice versa. Well, then what the fuck? Sorry. Furthermore, Talbert, sorry, Tarbert revealed that other cryptos apart from Bitcoin and Ethereum might be labeled as commodities. As previously reported by Bitcoinists, the CFTC labeled Ethereum a commodity. Tarbert, who also started, stated that the CFTC was looking into evaluating stablecoins as commodities. According to CoinMetrics co-founder Nick Carter, the CFTC chairman did state that he wasn't aware of any legal precedent for such a transmutation from security to commodity status. For Tarbert, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission is responsible for determining which cryptos fall under the securities classification to this end. The CFTC chief remarked that the market-led self-regulatory organizations or SROs will not determine how regulators classify virtual assets. Earlier in October, several major U.S. crypto firms formed the Crypto Ratings Council, <laughs> an independent rating body for cryptocurrency classification. Chairman Tarbert also stated his belief that Ethereum futures are imminent forecasting. Uh, that hit the market in the next six to 12 months. Since the SEC separated Bitcoin and Ether as commodities back in 2018, there's been talk of launching Ether futures in the U.S. market. At the Yahoo Finance All Markets Summit earlier in October, the CFTC chair praised the performance of the Bitcoin futures market. We'll get into more of that a little bit later. Away, Away from the security and commodity debate, Tarbert declared that crypto exchanges... We're still the in the Wild West arena. According to the CFTC chairman, there's still work needed to be done in, oh, I love it, sanitizing the crypto, crypto trading space. Yeah, you better use freaking phosphoric acid, dude, because bleach ain't going to do it. In recent times, regulators have begun to insist on total compliance with measures like know your customer and anti-money laundering, these stringent measures have reportedly dampened retail trading in once buoyant, buoyant markets like South Korea. For many regulators, these robust regulatory provisions are necessary to prevent illegal financial activities. Yes, of course, because you know nobody's using the U.S. dollar for assassination markets. 
Moving onward, Alex Lelatcher is writing for Brave New Coin on the 20th of October that the CME Group to launch Bitcoin options in 2020. That'll be fun. Derivatives exchange operator CME announced plans to launch regulated Bitcoin options in quarter one of 2020 pending regulatory approval. Options provide the holders... Sorry, uh, with the right, but not the obligation to buy or sell an underlying asset at a predefined price at a specific date in the future. They can be used for hedging or speculative purposes and are a more flexible and cheaper financial derivative in, oh, sorry, than, uh, let's try this again, and are a more flexible and cheaper financial derivative than futures. For example, a Bitcoin mining operation could hedge itself against a steep drop in the price of Bitcoin. <laughs> like we saw today, by buying an op, uh, put options on the digital currency. The mining company could purchase Bitcoin puts with a strike price of 6000 and a three-month expiry. That would mean if the price of Bitcoin was to drop below that level, the Bitcoin put option contracts would be in the money, which would enable the miner to recuperate mining losses with earnings from the derivatives position. Should the price never drop to that level, the miner would only lose the premium paid for the option. The CME Bitcoin options will use the CME CF Bitcoin reference rate or BRR for pricing and will settle in the derivatives exchanges CME Bitcoin futures contracts. That means the CME Bitcoin options will be options on futures contracts, not options that have physical Bitcoin as their underlying asset. This feature should make it easier for the CME to re uh, receive regulatory approval for this new digital asset offering. Tim McCourt, CME's groups, CME Group's global head of equity products and alternative investments, told the South China Morning Post that he expects that the exchange will see strong demand from miners and traders based in Asia. According to McCourt, Bitcoin futures are already a popular way of Bitcoin, for Bitcoin companies and investors to hedge their digital currency exposure. Companies that are naturally long Bitcoin, such as miners, are major users of Bitcoin futures. CME Bitcoin options, however, will enable companies and investors to manage their risk in a more precise manner. Quote, while futures give you a one-for-one -one exposure whereby the movement of the underlying Bitcoin translates directly to a specific dollar value per contract, an option gives you varying strike price levels and can give you either downside protection or upside exposure at a fraction of the underlying asset's price, end quote, said McCourt. McCourt expects the new CME Bitcoin options to become as popular as the exchange's Bitcoin's future offerings. CME Bitcoin futures experienced the best day ever on May 13th, 2019, when 34,000 futures contracts worth $1.3 were traded on the derivatives exchange. European and Asian traders make up around half the trading volume for Bitcoin futures, which would suggest that the upcoming CME BTC options may see a similar customer demographic. With the bulk of Bitcoin miners located in Asia, the CME's prediction of high demand out of Asia will likely turn out to be correct. As more regulated financial products linked to Bitcoin are launched, the better for the digital currency's awareness level and adoption as an investment asset. However, similar, similarly to the launch of backed futures last month, the launch of CME's Bitcoin options are unlikely to cause an aggressive price movement in one direction or the other, since the CME Bitcoin options will be options on futures as opposed to options on a physical asset. The introduction of regulated Bitcoin options on the CME should not have a massive impact on Bitcoin. The settlement will be in Bitcoin futures, which are cash settled, so no actual Bitcoin will exchange owners in these transactions. 
CME Bitcoin options will, however, enable Bitcoin companies to hedge their digital currency asset expo- uh, digital currency exposure in a more precise and affordable manner. That could help the growth of the Bitcoin startup ecosystem in the long run. Additionally, Bitcoin options traded on a reputable exchange such as CME has the potential to introduce more Wall Street players in the digital asset markets, which could eventually lead to more buying of actual Bitcoin and other crypto assets in the future. For those who have been following Bitcoin for several years, it's fascinating to see that traders will soon be able to trade futures and options on, quote, magic internet money (laughs) on one of the largest derivatives exchanges in the world. Bitcoin's ascent continues right on, brother, to the moon. Except that we have to hitch a, we're, we're, we have coattails. Okay, be aware of our coattails because it causes crap like this. Kick is not going to die, people. Decrypt.co has Kick Messenger saved from closure. This is by Robert Stevens writing yesterday. Kick, the 300 million strong messenger app, was earmarked for closure after its publishers decided to shut it down focus on, uh, f- to focus on battling an SEC judgment against the cryptocurrency network Kin. But in a company blog post on Friday, Kick announced that Kick Messenger is here to stay and has been bought out by Media Lab. Media Lab is a holding company that owns brands like social media network Whisper and music mixtape service Datpiff. The blog post does not mention the price of the acquisition. Media Lab has some plans for Kick. First, said the company in the blog post, it is making the app faster, more reliable, and less buggy. Second, it plans on, quote, making Kick the best place to connect with people who have similar interests, whether it be in a group setting or one-on-one. It also plans to introduce advertisements over the coming weeks. Quote, while we know that some of you may not love the idea, we plan to do it in a way that is not intrusive. Well, then it's not a freaking ad. And in no way takes away from what makes Kit great. <clears throat> no annoying full-screen video takeovers or things like that, wrote the Media Lab team in the blog post. Media Lab will expand integration of Kin, Kick's cryptocurrency app. Kin boasts around 800,000 monthly users through its token though its token value has slumped to 0. Point, man, that's a lot of zeros. 0.000006 dollars. Wow, that is God, why? Kick previously announced it was shutting down to focus on the ongoing lawsuit against the SEC. The SEC claimed Kick's ICO, which raised $100 million, was unregistered, and it was. Kick has pushed back, though the fight has cost millions in legal fees so far. As part of the lawsuit, Kick laid off a bunch of its workforce, cutting staff from 100 to 19. <laughs> Friday's blog post does not mention if these cuts will be rehired. I doubt it. You bought a sinking ship. Good luck to you. Boating accidents in the Bitcoin space are plentiful. Moon's browser extension lets you play with Bitcoin on Amazon. Romaine Dillett, or Dillett is writing for TechCrunch.com yesterday sometime in the morning. Meet Moon, a three-person startup that lets you pay for stuff on Amazon using Bitcoin via the Lightning Network. Bitcoin, Litecoin, or Ether. 
The company has released a desktop browser extension for Google Chrome, Brave, and Opera. While some e-commerce retail- retailers let you pay with cryptocurrencies, the biggest e-commerce platforms have yet to accept cryptocurrencies. Moon doesn't want to wait and wants to make it possible to pay with cryptocurrencies using current payment methods. After installing the extension, Moon automatically, no, that was me, sorry. Moon automatically recognizes when you're on an Amazon checkout page and inserts the company's own payment widget. You can see how much you're going to pay in cryptocurrencies before accepting the transaction. Right now, Moon lets you pay in two different ways. You can pay with any Bitcoin wallet that works on top of the Lightning Network. Normal Bitcoin transactions can take minutes to be confirmed on the Bitcoin blockchain. The Lightning Networks lets you open a payment channel between Lightning nodes to enable faster transactions. Moon also lets you pay with your crypto balance on your Coinbase account. This way, if you hold Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ether, etc. on your Conbase account, you can also pay in seconds by leveraging Conbase's API. Behind the scene, Moon uses prepaid value on Amazon. When you pay with Moon, the service automatically converts your cryptocurrencies, tops up your Amazon account, and pays with your Amazon balance. Moon doesn't charge additional fees. In the future, Moon plans to expand beyond the U.S. and Canada and let customers in Europe use the browser extension. Similarly, Moon wants to expand to other e-commerce websites. Moon participated in the Entrepreneur's Roundtable Accelerator. Okay, so what do I think about this? FNA, dude. That's what I think about this. Good. I, I mean... Okay, browser extensions in Chrome are inherently like not kind of safe. I'm referencing the current uh, discussion between Marty Bent and Justin Moon uh, on this one. I think it's, uh, I want to say it's episode 109 of, of uh, Tales from the Crypt. Uh, but Justin basically just like ripped apart. He's like going, dude, if you knew what was going on with these extensions, you would literally delete all your extensions but this is, this is the life we live. Okay. So this is an extension. It is for Chrome and a couple of other ones, as was said, I have it installed on my browser and it works. I go to, to Amazon. I, uh, just picked it, you know, uh, uh, I think I picked a raspberry, raspberry Pi four. Cause I'm kind of interested in it. Went to checkout and boom, all of a sudden here's this little added button and it says pay, you know, I think it says pay with moon. And when I hit that, a drop down comes out uh, that tells me what it is I'm going to do kind of gives me some options. Do I want to pay with lightning network and pay with Bitcoin? I got to set some other stuff. You know, I, I would have to set some other stuff up. I didn't, <coughs> didn't have time and I'm not really in rushing to buy anything right now. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to not spend money. That's what I'm trying not to do is spend freaking money. I'm trying to save it in either event. It seems to work. Now, I haven't gone through the entire process yet, so be aware. But if you guys get a chance, check out Moon because they're allowing you to buy stuff with Bitcoin via the Lightning Network on Amazon. Okay? That's the whole point of this. Buying shit on Amazon with Bitcoin via the Lightning Network. That's all you need to know about that one. So, again, that is Moon. Let me see. Does it give a... Oh, it doesn't. I don't know, just uh, Google Moon Browser Bitcoin Amazon. I guarantee you, you'll you'll get to it. Or you could go to my curated timeline in the show notes and check out all the stories that I'm doing today, just like I do every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Okay, oh God, it's not going to survive boating accidents. No, it won't. We have a wallet that will will survive all boating accidents. You can't, you, we're not going to be able to use that that meme excuse anymore. 
we're going to need a new meme, but tragic nuclear detonation doesn't really roll off the tongue all that well. What am I talking about? I'm talking about crypto steals, new hard, it's not a hardware wallet. It's just a chunk of steel that keeps your private keys or anything else. Essentially it's called, it's, it's a capsule. If you haven't seen the damn thing, go to cryptosteel.com. Look for, I think they have like, like in their uh, top of their browser, it'll say shop. I'm pretty sure the first thing that comes up is their new capsule and it's a steel tube and you unscrew the end of it. And there's a rod inside that's got a rail on it. Uh, that were a rail has been basically drilled through the rod. So it goes all the way through and it's just like a, a space in between. And then they give you a whole bunch of these little metal chips, you know, stainless steel metal chips that have letters, number or uh, numbers, uh, maybe some special characters, but at least letters, uppercase and lowercase and numbers. And when you get your private keys or think of it this way, Shamir secret sharing or pretty much anything. You can just save like a, a, a 10 character password. You, it, the, these little chips are designed to go on the rail and, and stay there indefinitely. And then the, somehow or another, there's a, there's a way to lock the top of the rail so that the little disc don't slide off. Once you've done that, you put the whole thing back into the capsule and screw it closed. And then there's an anti-tampering device that you can add to the top of it. This thing is great, man. I, it's like, I think it's like, uh, I think one of them is around, it's 74 euros. I think that ends up being somewhere around 60, 50, 60 bucks or something like, something like that. Um, and they offer them, you can get one in the package. You can get, I think two, three and five. So if you were to get five, you could use it as a multi-sig. You know, to keep to keep your your keys backed up, your multi-sig keys backed up. So that way, like you could go say, look, I got one at my house. I got one at I don't know that I buried under a you know under a rock, and I've got the GPS coordinates to it somewhere. I keep one in I don't know somewhere else, another in a safety. In either event, if you've got a three of five and you can just get three of these cylinders, dude, you're golden on multi-sig expensive because it's like 274 euros to buy five of them at once. But Hey, this thing will probably, unless you're at ground zero and somebody drops a nuclear, you know, bomb on your ass, this, this thing would probably survive anything. Even if it was corroded, you'd be able to sandblast all the little, the sandblast, the, uh, the rust off the little plates and you'd be able to recover what letter or number or special character it would have been. So check out cryptosteel.com. Look for the Crypto Steel capsule. They've got a couple of videos. It's freaking nice. But the FinCEN director warns of hard time for crypto firms that don't follow the law. Yes, we have a dinosaur shaking his finger at us. Check it out, dude. Nicholas Day is writing for Coindesk uh, yesterday. There is no ambiguity. Crypto startups must follow U.S. AML laws or else suffer the consequences, says the nation's top AML regulator. <clears throat> Kenneth Blanco 
Director of the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, or FinCEN, warned the crypto industry Monday to take heed of the Bank Secrecy Act and other AML regulations when setting up business because his agency certainly will. Blanco, or Blanco, or however the hell you want to say it, who spoke at, at Georgetown University as part of the first day of the DC FinTech Week, told moderator Chris Broomer that companies have no excuse for not knowing the law. Quote, what we will tell everybody is if you're going to innovate, you better make sure you're complying with your regulations prior to executing that innovation or prior to going to market, Blanco said. You better make sure that that happens because, frankly, you don't get to build it and then everybody comes around over it. That doesn't make sense. Quote. He went on to add, quote, you have to make sure that you comply with the law first and then you can execute and get to market. Otherwise, that's not happening. I'll tell you, if you can't comply with your BSA, you're going to have a problem. You must comply. You must comply. You must comply. And we, as a regulator, are the primary regulator and the administrator of the BSA. We will make sure that you do, and you're going to have a hard time if you don't, end quote. FinCEN won't accept that a company, quote, can't comply with the law either, he said. Any firms which do not believe they are able to fulfill the requirements in the BSA should not come to market, Blanco said. Quote, that's what our expectation is going to be moving forward, end quote, he said. Blanco's comments come at a time when industry observers expect enforcement actions around money laundering due in part to a recent joint statement FinCEN published with the SEC and the CFTC. Warnings aside, Blanco praised the idea of innovation, though he warned of potential national security risks throughout his speech. Quote, some of it is really exciting. The good is, wow, we can really protect society in many different ways or enjoy more job growth based on these kind of innovations and ideas, end quote, he said. On the other hand, it's scary how some of these same new tools can be used by bad actors. What, like the United States dollar? The fucking euro? The British pound sterling? Won? Yen? So it's... Keep that in mind. Ten years ago, all the bad shit that was done in the world was done with government fiat currency. This is a dead argument. And anytime that you hear somebody say it, just look at them square in the eye and say, then how did you do illegal shit with money before Bitcoin? And how long has that been going on? There's no defense against that question. There's no defense. Keep that one in mind. Pull it out of your back pocket and do not be scared to beat the living shit out of your opponent with it whenever they bring this shit up. Because this is crap. This is a crappy argument. It doesn't even make sense. I can do great harm to a human being with a rock. Are we going to mow down the mountains? which are made of rock. No, we're not. Quote, like any innovation, you have to be careful because sometimes those people who show up when you're innovating are the wrong people. And the people who are trying to exploit it for the gaps that there are, that are there. So you have to keep that in mind. Oh, really? Like the the bad actors during the gold rush in the 1800s? No, no. Wow, bad people exist. Oh, good God, get a spine. These malicious actors are what inspired laws like the BSA, he said. 
society would want to protect the elderly and other groups that are susceptible to cyber fraud and other digital crimes. FinCEN is not anti-technology bullshit. Blanco later added, the agency is technology neutral, and despite its warnings to the industry, he believes that tech should continue advancing, though he reiterated it should be developed responsibly. Yeah, define that. Quote, innovation must be responsible. It must be reasonable. You can't just build a car that goes 190 miles an hour and say, change the speed limit. It's not going to work that way, end quote. He said, concluding, quote, your car is going to have to adapt. Otherwise, it's not coming on the road. Bottom line, that's the message, end quote. Whose road? What if I build my own fucking road? Sorry, dude. What, what this is, is this is a pissing contest. This is, we have now engaged in an official pissing contest with central, regula- central regulators that do not understand anything about this tech. They certainly don't understand anything about why we're so pissed off that this whole thing came about in the first place. So do no harm insofar as you know what bad shit is. You don't need this dude telling you how not to engage in assassination markets, how not to sell child slaves across, you know, to other people, how not to you know commit robbery, how not to take other people's money because they're dumb. You know, when you're doing that, you don't need this dude doing this, right? So you guys keep continuing to do all the development that you do, but understand this shit is coming to a head. And when you got dinosaurs like this spouting the kind of crap that they're spouting and and trying to engage in a pissing contest with us, be aware that they're going to eventually lose because they're going to eventually die and they're going to eventually be replaced by people who are in this industry because the entire world is tired of it. How is it? How else is it that you've got 13 or 14 either countries or cities in full blown revolt? Hell, that's approaching 10, either depending on your definition of how many countries there are in the world, that's either five, somewhere between five and 10% of the countries in the world seem to me to be open revolt, violent open revolt. I don't think I've ever seen this before. I don't think the whole world's ever seen this before. Here we got a dinosaur in a pissing contest with us and they have no door to knock on. They have no email to mail. They have no P.O. box to mail. They don't have a place, an address where they can go and serve a subpoena. I'm not actually all that scared of this guy. However, if you are in a business, like an on-ramp or off-ramp, this guy is talking to you. This guy will come kill you or at least knock on your door with a subpoena that will shut your ass down. So they are serious. I'm just saying, find the routes around. If we can continue to find the routes around, then we can continue to move forward. But if, if we're not prepared to be able to think our way out of going over walls like this or under or around or blow holes through it so that we can install a fucking door, then we might as well stop now. Just saying this one is kind of freaking me out. Um, Trump administration popped 2017 Bitcoin bubble, ex-CFTC chair says. You know who that is? Uh, That's Giancarlo, Christopher Giancarlo, or Crypto Dad. This was yesterday. This is Brady Dale writing for Coindesk. The Trump administration acted to deflate the Bitcoin bubble of 2017 by allowing the introduction of futures products, a former official said on Monday. 
Christopher Giancarlo, who left the U.S. Commodities Futures Trading Commission at the end of the five, his five-year term as chairman in April, told Coindesk in an interview, quote, One of the untold stories of the past few years is that the CFTC, the Treasury, and the SEC – and the National Economic Council director at the time, Gary Cohn, believed that the launch of Bitcoin futures would have an impact of popping the Bitcoin bubble, and it worked. End quote. In a speech at the Pantera Summit in San Francisco on Monday, Giancarlo elaborated further, saying Bitcoin's dramatic price run-up in December 2017 was the first major bubble following the 2008 financial crisis. That's why the Trump administration acted in concert to address it in a pro-markets manner, he said. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of – I'm just going to call bullshit. And I'm really – this – I, I probably shouldn't react this way. And if you guys have a reason why I shouldn't react the following way, you guys let me know. I got it. I'm growing a fairly thick skin. I can take it. But I, until now I used to like Christopher Giancarlo, but this is hubris. This is yet one more evidence that these guys are start starting to engage in a pissing contest with Bitcoin in general. I don't believe it. And other people don't believe it either because the CME Futures volume was almost barely non-existent. We were kind of, it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek joke going, oh, yay, we finally got CME. Uh, nobody gives a shit because look at the, the the usage stats were crap, which is also one of the things that we battle. It's like, well, nobody's using it, so Bitcoin is dead. It's like, well, no, we're all just really freaking early. But to, to suggest that the Trump administration single-handedly through the installation of futures and other, other types of financial instruments dedicated to Bitcoin had something to do with the bubble pop is ludicrous. No, it had nothing to do with that. It was a rational exuberance. All of us saw it. We were talking about this shit in 2017 at the end of, at the end of 2016, all the way through 2017, especially in 2017, we were looking at this rise and of course the rise of parabolic Trav. And if you don't follow at parabolic Trav, you probably need to follow parabolic Trav because the guy's a freaking legend for, for his parabolic quotes and charts and all the kind of stuff. We were going to go hit like $10 million. I, don't get me wrong. Trav love you, man. Fixture in the space. Wish I had your creds. I don't. So I'm not knocking you. We love you in the space. And it was really, you know, we missed you when you were gone for a while glad you're back. <clears throat> but all of us saw it. We were like going, dude, this is just going to, this is going to result in really bad shit. I stopped, I stopped my DCA at 36 to somewhere between 36 and 3,800. And I can't remember. I think that was somewhere around in like first or second quarter 2017. I just stopped and people were like going, why did you stop? We're going to the moon. And I'm like, dude, the, the, the slope is way too high. The slope on this is way too high. This is irrational exuberance. It's going, something bad is going to happen, but it's not going to kill Bitcoin because, quite frankly, Bitcoin doesn't give a shit. It never has. I don't think it ever will. But to suggest that the Trump administration or any presidential administration is going to destroy the value of something worldwide is a pissing contest. And I've just now lost a shit ton of respect for Christopher Giancarlo, formerly known as Crypto Dad. Now he's more like the dude sitting in the rocking chair yelling at me to get off his lawn. That's gonna, No, wait a minute. That's not going to do it. I want one more. Um, I need to announce this one. A form of offline payments is being developed for Bitcoin's Lightning Network. 
Uh, this is out of decrypt.co, and there, I'm going to take the time. To, I know we're going long, but this is important because this was yesterday. Um, Lightning Rod, a new offline-style payments protocol for the Bitcoin Lightning Network, will enable users to make Lightning payments to a payee without their mobile nodes being online at the time. Developed by Bitcoin payments startup Breeze, Lightning Rod delivers a Venmo-like user experience for the Lightning Network, according to Breeze CEO Roy Scheinfeld. Quote, there won't be a need for two mobile nodes, payer and payee, to be online at the same time in order to send or receive Lightning payments, he, he told Decrypt. Excuse me. The firm has released the protocol open source and is planning to integrate the new functionality into its iOS and Android payments apps by the end of this year. The new functionality is being developed specifically for payments made on the Lightning Network, a decentralized system for instant and high-volume Bitcoin micropayments. The network allows payments as low as one Satoshi to be sent across payment channels that distributed networks across the network today. Over the last few months, the network has surged back into growth with the number of network nodes recently hitting 10,000. Currently, to make Bitcoin payments across the Lightning Network, both payer and payee need to be online and have their network nodes connected to each other. The new protocol works by routing a Lightning node network payment through an intermediate node. This intermediate node is always online and can securely forward a payment without needing that the payer and payee maintain an active connection to the network. Scheinfeld said that he would not describe the functionality as offline lightning payments, but as the ability to pay someone and go offline right after you've sent the payment. So the payee is offline during the payment. It's the difference between a phone call and text messaging, he said. Quote, one requires both parties to be online at the same time. The other doesn't, end quote. Although it's normally not an issue whether both nodes are online in a transaction, if payments can be sent across a protocol where at least the payee is offline, it could open up the door for a much improved UX for payments made across Bitcoin's layer two scaling solution. So, yeah, dude, I'm telling you, all we really, I mean, I don't want to be patient for freaking ever, but patience has to be gained at one point or another. I mean, the, the time preference here has to be lowered. You're, you're dealing with a, com, a complete rebuild of the world's financial system. It's not going to happen overnight. And it ain't going to happen without lots of blood in the streets. And it's not going to happen without a lot of shit, you know, a lot of pain. It's It's ugly and it sucks and I get it, but we get stuff like this where it's like, Oh, this refutes an entire argument sector of the BSV BCH crowd automatically. We're just all it, this is going to happen, whether they or us or anybody else wants it to or not. All it will do is basically continuously engage in a pissing contest, I guess. Anyway, that's going to do it for your morning roundup. Vital statistics brought to you by bitinfocharts.com, mempool.space, and 1ML. Bitcoin's price, as I, we've all probably seen by now, took a giant club to the head, is now 7,492. <clears throat> it looks like I got a low over at, oh, I got a high over at Bitfinex at 7,493.6. And I've got a low over at, oh, where is it going to be? It's going to be over at HitBTC 
at 7,466, still a tight spread. Wow, 346,000 transactions have been made over the last 24 hours, approaching 15,000 transactions per hour on average. 1.3 million BTC have been sent over the last 24 hours. And I'm going to pause right there because I never do this, but for somebody who's listening who doesn't know the gravity of the situation, that's 10 billion with a B, $10 billion United States dollars, 10 billion traded hands in Bitcoin across the Bitcoin network at 10 minute blocks or well, it's probably low right now. Um, yeah, it's going to be low. Uh, we'll get to that in 24 hours, $10 billion. I mean, I can't wait till we get to the fees on this. Um, the average transaction value is 3.84 BTC or $28,000 per hour. Median, uh, or me, uh, sorry, per transaction, not per hour, per, per transaction. It's 55,000 BTC are being sent per hour or 500 million USD every hour on the hour. The median transaction value is 184 bucks or 0.025 BTC, which is low. I like seeing 300. I don't know why. Block time is low at eight minutes and 17 seconds. That's pretty damn low, man. People are just like switching on miners left and right. 0.14 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis. 25 BTC have been taken in all over the last 24 hours. So, 25 BTC have been taken in fees and the network has moved $10 billion in US dollars or 1.3 million BTC. Nice. We have a drop in hash rate of 0.15% in the last 24 hours, bringing us to the lowly exahash per second rate of 107. 107 exahashes per second. That's like crawling, creeping up on the highs. Okay. That's really high up there. The last GitHub commit was sometime yesterday. Ethereum is at 160 Bcash pump into 209, a Litecoin 49 BSV at 95, Ethereum classic at four and a quarter Dogecoin at 0.0025 with 25,000 transactions over the day. It's doing, uh, it's pretty much up against Litecoin again. Uh, stomping them by about 5,000 transactions in the last 24 hours. The mempool is, well, mempool is full. We're five blocks deep with about 9,500 unconfirmed transactions. All the blocks I see are full. However, I saw a few non-full ones earlier, but that was before the great big, huge red line that we're all mesmerized about right now. Don't let it freak you out. 1ML has lightning nodes sitting at about two or 10,250. Uh, that's uh, a gain of 2.74% in node count over the last month. We have, ooh, let's see, 13 new nodes online, which is a 30% rise in node opening on uh, over the last 24-hour period. And in the last 24-hour period, we have 221 brand spanking new channels with diapers. That is a 100% increase of node channel additions in the last 24 hours. That's going to do it for Vitals. All 
right, today for song of the day, we're going to hit up some some Brian Setzer. For those of you who don't know who the hell Brian Setzer is, uh, if you were alive in the 80s, or even if you just, you know, somehow or another were, you know, born later but liked 80s music, there was a band called The Stray Cats, which was a trio of greasers that was fascinated with the music of the 50s and big band music. And when they first came out, I kind of didn't like them, but I got to tell you, man, the shit grew on me. I, 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 it's not like I got, you know, stacks and stacks of vinyl albums of Stray Cats or anything like that, but I do have a great appreciation for their music to the point that if I hear it on the radio, I will shut up, turn up the radio and listen to it because they have always been really good. Now, I don't know what happened to the other two cats in the Stray Cats, but what I do know is that when they split up, Brian Setzer went solo and formed the, uh, he did a couple of things, but as of late, you know, like over the last few years, he's been leading or conducting what's called the Brian Setzer Orchestra. For those of you who don't know what bands were kind of like in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, you had the sort of like a big band thing. And the main musician was the conductor, also the orchestrator of all the music. He was responsible, he or she would be responsible for putting together the band and where they played and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> Brian Setzer has taken that and, and really made it, you know, not his own, but it's like the guy's just a born, it's like, actually I was about to say a born natural at it. I think Brian Setzer was born after his times. I could, that dude, he's got this fifties sound down to the point that I'm, I'm just, every time I hear him play, I'm just in awe. I hope you guys enjoy it because it's one of my favorite pieces of music, but here's the Brian Setzer orchestra.
fitting piece of music for today because the red candles did hail down on our ass. It sucks. I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five red candles. I'm on the hourly on trading view. It's 7,450. We have 57 minutes left in this final candle, but I'm looking at four straight up hours of death and destruction. Don't, uh, well, if you want to panic sell, panic sell, but Bitcoin never dies. We've all been through this before. We're all going to go through it again, but just, you know, keep your shit together, people. Okay. Your Daily Train Wrecked is brought to you by Medium Squeeze or Ride the Lightning. But Medium Squeeze is where you can find them on Twitter at Medium Squeeze, all one word. One of my favorite people on Twitter for Bitcoin Twitter. So it's it's not him saying something stupid. He's making he's bringing it to our attention of the stupidity of Hotep Jesus, who somewhere around 1820 hours ago said the following. Who edits the code? Does it edit itself or are there people behind it? Could these people be subject to cults? Hashtag Blockstream. And as Medium Squeeze points out in his tweet, that didn't take long, and I concur. It didn't take long, and I didn't expect it to take long. That's I mean, the fact that it didn't take long is not surprising. Went right to the whole Borg stream argument, so we probably know who's uh, uh, offering him money. And I don't know. I can't prove that. But I've seen this so many times before that it's become sort of like I don't know. It's sort of like the, the, an, an MO. I, I don't know if I'm using that term properly here, but it's like it's like the same sort of operations that I've seen before, where all of a sudden somebody who's really, really, you know, has a shit ton of followers because of X, Y, and Z suddenly enter into the Bitcoin fray, and then damn near immediately, or at least in the in some cases immediately, in the case of Kevin Pham, it took two years. But in this case, it took two weeks because Hotep Jesus has not really been on my radar in Bitcoin because if I've got a whole bunch of people on my list, I've got shit coiners on my list. I've got all kinds of people on my list because I need the radio traffic to, for me to find out what the hell's going on in the world, especially outside the Bitcoin only bubble, Right. Hotep Jesus has never really got on my radar until all of a sudden he decided to get a debate going with Peter McCormack, uh, Brian Trolls, and a couple of, I don't know if, I can't remember, I guess they were BSV or BC, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. The, the shit coiners on the Bitcoin shit fork side. Now all of a sudden he's starting to ask these questions that we have had answered for a very long time. Ladies and gentlemen, Hotep Jesus, give him a round of applause, and that's your smoldering pile chilling out in the corner for today. So after that horrific view of a train wreck, uh, let's get into let's get into a joke. This one is brought to you by me. Actually, no, it's brought to you by my dad from years ago when I was a child and I had absolutely no idea what this joke meant. But here we go. Dad, this is for you. 
I knew a man that went through a divorce. He ended up ruthless. Just so happened that when I was a kid, we knew a family uh, who's uh, the mother and the father who went through a divorce. And this is, they, they were, we knew, I knew them because my mom and dad were friends with them, but they got a divorce and you can imagine what the wife's name was. Eh, yeah, Ruth. Uh, God, it's, it's still just as terrible as a joke. And from a real dad, my dad, I'm proud of that joke. That is a, that is a generational joke. I'm going to keep that in my back pocket and make sure my son is able to, uh, parrot that out whenever. All right, let's go ahead and get to the out. Um, you know, what's going on. I know what's going on. FUD's coming. Regulators are getting into a pissing contest with us. Is This is not going to be easy. We always knew it wasn't going to be easy, but we may very well be at the gate, uh, the gate through which we pass, that the landscape will change forever and ever. How long will it take to get through that gate? Will we have to dig a tunnel under the freaking wall? Will we have to build ladders to go over the wall? Do we just circumvent their whole citadel altogether? And I, I don't know. All I do know is that we've been getting some pushback up until now. Looks to me like they just turned on being serious. I am still extraordinarily disappointed with Giancarlo and what he said, because A, I don't believe it. B, I don't think he believes it. And C, if he doesn't believe it, then why did he say it? I don't think so. I, I, I don't think the, any administration would, would have that power through a couple of low volume, uh, you know, uh, financial instruments about Bitcoin. I mean, they were, they were they're horribly low volume, so low volume. Now the volume's coming up. I'm, I, I was seeing a couple of, uh, a couple of tweets from, uh, volumes. I, I follow a couple of, uh, Twitter accounts that give me the volume on some of these things. And I think it was CME contracts are like way high today, way high. That's volume. But before this, especially before, cause they were, they were pointing at that there was like, I think it was. December 17th. Yeah. December 17th. The first, one of these first products was offered and then the price tanks beginning December 18th. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't think that did it. And I also don't think that the ongoing low ass volume that they've had since then had anything to do with it either. I still think it was just a rational exuberance. And I think we all saw it. And I didn't get out because I don't, that's not what I believe in. And people are going, you were stupid not to get out. I have friends who are still looking at me going, wait a minute, it hit 20,000. You knew it was going to tank and yet you did nothing. No, I didn't do a freaking thing. There's a reason you have conviction. There's a reason you have conviction because it's one of the, for me, it's one of the things that makes sure that I remember that I'm human and that there's other things other things exist than money. Other things exist than your career. Other things exist than your freaking degree. Other things exist. Your kids, your family, your time, your ability to see beauty in the world, your, your ability to have a spine, your ability to look at your own stupid mistakes in the face and go, you know what? That wasn't stupid. That was conviction. I believe in this. I'm, the whole world is in flames. The whole world is in flames, literally. 
And people are still walking around with their head up their ass saying the banks will save them. No, they won't. No, they won't. The banks are causing all this and have caused all this since the time of the Medicis. Talk the 1400s Venice. If you want to read a really good Shakespeare play, don't read uh, Romeo and Juliet because it's not good. Don't read, uh, oh, I can't remember, um, Had Pan in it, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. It's all right for a fantasy, but if you want to talk about business and some of the shit that goes on around way early Venice, Italy, read The Merchant of Venice. That play will blow your ass away. Now, if you want to read another one, one of the you know one of the histories, read uh, Henry V. Henry V has so, some of the most gorgeous language in it ever. But Merchant of Venice is is my all time favorite Shakespeare play. They kind of touch on this this kind of thing about what was going on at the time, and this is I get the feeling that people are just they're just tired. The masses, I'm talking people, the masses are tired. You got 13 or 14 countries, one of which is a city, Hong Kong, but I'm going to include it as a country because it's kind of huge. They're, they're all burning. They're not burning down, but they are on fire. They are all online. They are, they are ready to roll. Apparently Bolivia just came online like yesterday, Chile, Ecuador, Hong Kong, Germany, the Netherlands, In Germany and the Netherlands, you got massive farmer strikes going on. When I mean massive, I'm talking about 100,000 tractors on the frickin' road in the Netherlands. In Germany, I'm not sure what the numbers are, but it doesn't look like it's all that less. In either event, in the Netherlands, one of the farmers drove his tractor right up to the parliament doors and broke them open. Now, there were police waiting on the other side, so all the farmers that tried to get into the parliament were basically, you know— skedaddled out. I don't know if they were beaten like they're beating people in Hong Kong, but this shit's breaking loose. And I don't think, I don't think it's like they're, they just woke up one day and were pissed off. There's a reason this shit's happening. Everybody's poor. That doesn't mean that I'm for like taking the wealth from the hands of some rich billionaire and giving it to the poor people. That doesn't ever work. And it's going to cause more problems than it solves in my opinion. However, it would be nice if we'd stop printing money and allowing the people that are already the most wealthy and already the most powerful to be standing as close to the money printing spigot as possible so that they can spend it on real estate and shit first before that transaction hits the market, the open markets and signals that there's more money in the system, which causes the inflation. And by the time any of us see it, it's already worthless money. It's all of the wealth has been sucked out of it and put into real assets like gold, real estate. And I'm talking like, open for me, real estate means open land. I'm not talking about buying condos that you never live in. That's That market seems to be dying itself. Well, not dying, but people are, you know, even the rich people are scared, except their revolt is buying shit and not living in it because they don't trust the banks either. In either event, you know, I'm just saying buy Bitcoin because shit, why not? Everything else is either is, is being bought because of people that are already rich and already know how to do this and already powerful are closer to the money spigot than anybody else. 
It's when they do their transactions that we start losing wealth in a sort of like a, uh, like an anti-parabolic way, or I guess it'd be logarithmic. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but it goes down real fast after that first transaction. And we ain't part of that club as George Carlin used to say, in either event, keep all that in mind, but try not to panic sell, ride it out. If you're alive today, you're going to be alive tomorrow. And I'll see you on the other side of that tomorrow. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.